buyers and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Joe Calloway, a leading performance expert who helps great companies get even better. Joe has been a business author, a coach, and a speaker for 30 years, and his client list reads like an international who's who in business, ranging from companies like Coca-Cola and IBM to Cadillac and American Express. Joe is the author of six books, including Be the Best at What Matters Most, The Only Strategy You'll Ever Need, and Becoming a Category of One, How Extraordinary Companies Transcend Commodity and Defy Comparison. I've been a fan of Joe's for many, many years, and I know that he and I have some shared association clients, and the things he talks about in the for-profit world apply in the association arena as well. So, Joe, welcome. I'm happy to have you here today. Thank you, Mary. I've been looking forward to this. Me as well. And so let's start with John Cotter's change models, first step, is to create a sense of urgency, but because of COVID, this is organically happening around us as organizations are forced to innovate due to the coronavirus. So let's start with the difference between reactive innovation and proactive innovation and how we can harness more proactive going forward. You know, we're in the reactive right yeah, now, very much so. but what can we learn and what can we do to get to the proactive sooner rather than later? A couple of thoughts on that. I'll never, forget years ago, and this was actually, gosh, this was probably a good 15 years ago, maybe even more. The CEO of Harley-Davidson in an interview said, I, <laughs> I love the way he put this. He said, our big challenge was that everything was going so well. Sales were going well. Customer satisfaction was going well. But if you looked way down the road, we could see that we had an aging customer base we could see competition coming, particularly from outside the U.S. He said, and what we had to do was create a crisis. We had to take the potential competitive threat <laughs> and pull it towards us mentally so that we got into a mindset of urgency. But we had to really kind of manufacture that. And I think, Mary, I think it's a culture issue, right? Well, I think everything's a culture issue. But I really think this proactive innovation and an ongoing sense of urgency is very much a culture issue that leadership has to reinforce every day. It's such a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. The time to innovate is before you have to. And we all know that. But golly, it's hard to put that into play unless something's, you know, snapping at you from behind and you feel some sort of threat. So you really do have to go into a mindset and, and a culture. Here's what's interesting to me, and I would love to hear your perspective on this. You look at what's happening in meetings, particularly what's happening with technology and the internet meetings. Do you think that maybe we would have largely gotten to this point or part of this anyway, without any crisis, three years down the road, five years down the road, seven years down the road, just as technology developed, that we would have been having more and more Zoom meetings anyway. But the pandemic forced us into it. It just pushed the schedule up on us. It's an accelerator. So this is a, a stressor. And stress, frankly, can be a motivator. It can be an accelerator. 
you know, what you touched on with Hardly Davidson, I think is what a lot of associations are experiencing now. And that is the, the complacency, the comfort, you know, they see that the market is changing. They see that there's a huge number of members that are going to be retiring and that younger members aren't in the pipeline to come into the association. But until you're really backed against the wall, until you don't have the budget to do what you need to do, until something like this happens, you're not forced to be innovating. I, I talked to somebody the other day, a CEO who said that he really feels that his job is to be working 18 months ahead of where everybody else is. And I thought that was kind of an interesting marker and a way to be looking at it so that we're not doing just-in-time innovation. We're actually leading the pack rather than following the pack. I love that. I love him putting it that way. I think he's smart. I think he's right on the money. We tend to work in, as you said in the question, we tend to work in reactive mode. And yet, <laughs> a market leader, by definition, leading means out in front. And so, I really do think it's a matter of creating a culture that leadership reinforces every single day, a culture of urgency and of innovation. So, you know, you mentioned meetings and so much of it going online now. And because meetings are such large revenue drivers and such a large part of the value to association members, uh, you know, the association arena is getting hit extremely hard right now. So what advice do you have for association professionals as they move forward in this environment that changed so quickly and so well, unexpectedly? Exactly. You hit on what I think is the operative word, which is value. So I know every day my mantra is, how can I create value today? As a matter of fact, on my computer screen, my screensaver every day, I substitute the word useful for value. How can I be useful to my clients? You know, we were talking uh, earlier offline, I'm doing a lot of social media work right now. And everything that I post on social media, I'm being so much more intentional about it, particularly about who does this help? And it's funny, there are lots of ideas and I'll scribble down, okay, I'm going to post this or I'm going to send this out to my clients. And then I sit on it for three or four hours and I might think, you know, I don't know that the value is really there in this. It's nice. It's a good idea. It's an okay idea. But part of what I'm doing is positioning myself to be a, or preferably the, go-to resource as the smoke clears and as things settle out. I want people to remember who is creating value in the midst of the chaos. The whole value piece of it, you know, this week I realized that value equals confidence. When you know that you're leading with value, you're coming from a confident place. But if you have value plus a need, now you're really, now you're going to do something that the market absolutely is going to turn to you to. And, and what I like about what you said about waiting after you have an idea, you don't want to just push something mediocre out. You want to excel and members are attracted to excellence. And I think that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you, Joe, is you, you just don't do stuff. You always do excellent stuff and you're committed to that. Thank you. I've probably done more than my share of stuff, Mary. <laughs> but I hope that some of it was excellent. You know what? You made me think of something else. One thing I've done with my clients, and I think that could apply to lots of businesses, it could certainly apply 
to associations and their members. I've called a ton of my clients and said, tell me what your leadership team, what questions are they really wrestling with right now? So I let the market tell me, here's what we're feeling up against. Here's where we're feeling the pressure. Here's where we need some help and some answers. And then my job is to help come up with those answers and help be a resource to solve their problems. It's very easy to make assumptions about what your members need right now. My advice is go to them and ask them. Get them to tell you those things that, as again, this cliche goes, what's really keeping them up at night right now? Well, I've heard from many association professionals that right now it's actually been easier to have value because their members are saying, we don't know when it's safe for us to open up. What kind of protocols do we need to put into place? What are the legal ramifications of what we're doing? What do we need to know that we don't know? So it's actually been a little bit easier to innovate because you're innovating against something rather than innovating in you know normal circumstances where there is not this focus on this one thing that we need help with so it's easy to innovate easier i should say it's never easy to innovate but it's easier to innovate when opportunities are evident and it's much harder when they're not so what do you recommend for association executives to help them see things that others may not and you just suggested one and that is to ask questions and be a good listener Ask questions, uh, be a good listener. Another thing to do is a lot of us, and I think you just touched on it with associations. I bet there are a lot of associations that are doing things that are outside their norm because their members have said, I need help with this. Well, keep your antenna out for the possibility that, hey, wait a minute, this, this is something that we are able to do, but we never really thought of this as being one of our core value offerings. So it could be that if you really, really pay attention during the crisis part of what we're going through, there will be some new opportunities that can continue on after this is settled down on an ongoing basis in terms of seeing things that others may not. You know, it's funny, every now and then I'll work with a group that they'll say, we're not super creative. We're not the kind of people that go off on a retreat at a state park and come up with six new innovations for our company or our association. We're not good at dreaming stuff up. You don't have to be. 90%, that's my number, but I'll stick with it. 90% of all truly useful innovation is adaptive innovation. And everybody can do this. You just keep your eyes open and you see something over there in an arena that has nothing to do with your business, but it's an idea that works. A classic example was many years ago, a hospital in the Midwest sent a bunch of their senior staff to Japan to a Honda manufacturing plant to study Honda's processes, took them back and adapted them to the hospital. So one of the things I work with, with my clients, which now is mostly small leadership groups, is let's play with adaptive innovation. One of my favorite examples is I'll ask people, who are some companies you admire? Three names that always come up, Apple, Amazon, Google. And I'll say, perfect. A characteristic of Amazon, easy to do business with. A characteristic of Apple, products, easy to use. 
a characteristic of Google makes the internet easier to use. So if you took back that one idea and said, we're going to launch an initiative of being easier to do business with, both with our customers and internally with each other, you could start innovating and innovate for the next year just off of that one angle, that one view. A lot of it's a matter of paying attention and then adapting. You know, the way I define innovation is almost too simple, and it is doing things differently because that covers both evolutionary and revolutionary innovation. And I think, to your point, it makes it less intimidating because if you say to a group, we're going to a retreat, we're going to sit in a room, we're going to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and we're going to innovate, that's stressful. But if you say to them, if we were going to do something differently in our business that would have a return and a benefit for our members, what would that be? And then that starts a conversation and that starts brainstorming. Boom. And you've got to add that second part. It's not just what can we do differently? What can we do differently that adds value? Because if you want to do something differently, everybody wear a funny hat to work. That's different. But you really nailed it. I tell you what, I see a lot of businesses that say, well, what you want to be is different. Only if it makes you better. Because being different for the sake of different, who cares? Oh, gosh, I don't know who to credit this to. I wish I'd made it up. But the saying was, buzzers and bells wear off. Value never does. And so you've got to innovate with the goal of creating value, I think. Value changes regularly. Yes, it's a moving target. And that's the tricky part. So once you get to where you think you need to be, you probably can only rest for about a day and then you got to get right back in the arena and you got to start listening again and you've got to start asking questions and listening to, to what the market is telling you. Essentially, You know, there's so many things I admire about you having watched you over the years and learned from you, from your books. But one of the things I've admired is that you believe in picking a lane and staying in it. And at the same time, you believe in evolving. So you've done both in your career. You pick a, a lane and that's your lane and you're very tightly niched in that lane, which helps differentiate you. But then at the same time, there comes a time when it's time for you to evolve and do something different. So what can associations learn from that? It's interesting. I think, let me put it this way. I don't try to be all things to all clients. There are, and I, I bet you've done this many, many times yourself. There's lots of times that a potential client would call or email, or maybe even an existing client would call and say, hey, could you do this for us? And I think, yeah, I could, but it's not my focus. That's not what I'm best at. So yeah, I could do that, but it wouldn't be my best work. And in the long run, that would work against me. So many, many times I've sent them in a different direction. I think there is something to be said for as far as picking a lane and staying with it, being intentional and focusing on how you best create value and going back to what you said just a minute ago, understand that value changes. The idea of value evolves. So that takes me back to a word that we used a few minutes ago. And this is something I know that you do. This is a main part of your business. And the word is relevance and being relevant. And how do you, I know you help associations stay relevant. That to me, as a matter of fact, every now and then I'll be doing an interview and somebody will say, if you had one piece of advice to give 
to any business, just a piece of general business advice, what would it be? Depending on, on what day it is, something different might pop in my head. But very often my advice is going to be stay relevant. So I try and be the best at what I do. That's the stick with the lane part. And yet what I do evolves as the market evolves. And let me also say that there have been times that a client has asked me to do something. I remember very specifically, a client said, we want you to come work with our convention and we would love for you to talk about this. And I said, you know, I could, that's not really what I do. They said, well, we love your work, but we want you to talk about that. I agreed to because it's a good client and I worked really hard. They kind of dragged me kicking and screaming into what became a book, what became a standalone workshop at the time, keynote speech and part of my consulting. And so that became a big part of my evolution. And in that case, the market led me. So I think it's a, it's a balance. I try to stick to what I do best while at the same time being open to legitimate value creating opportunities. I like what you said there that the market led you. And I think the parallel for associations is that members can sometimes lead the association to where the association needs to go or pivot. I'm interested, you're a principal in the Disruption Lab, a consulting group based in Nashville that helps companies with innovation strategies. And I'm interested based on your work there, what are the biggest mistakes you see organizations make when it comes to innovation? And what are a couple of things that you see them do right? Yeah, one is that a lot of companies, disruption, oh my gosh, it's become one of those buzzwords. A lot of people use the word disruption. (laughs) I was at a conference where the disruption lab we were presenting and it was a healthcare. Most of the people there were hospitals and there was a panel on hospitals that were disrupting. And one of the presentations was a woman who had a PowerPoint about a new design in hospital gowns. You know, those wretched things that we all hate because they're open in the back and she'd come up with a new one. And My partners and I looked at each other and went, that's not a disruption. That's an improvement. And as somebody that has had to wear one of those gowns, I welcome any improvement you got on that. (laughs) But there are a lot of companies that tweak or they'll improve their customer service or whatever. And they say there, now we're, we're disrupting. We can check that box. We're really disrupting. You may have been innovating. Innovating is doing something differently to create value disruption is really replacing. It's like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to do that. The biggest mistake, and it's an understandable mistake, that companies make who a lot of times they hire us and say, we want to disrupt, but there is no way they're going to let go of what has been working and is presently paying the bills. I get it. I understand that. So what you have to be willing to do is kind of a parallel thing. Take care of your business, pay the bills, but at the same time, and this is what companies do right, you've got to be willing to say, how can we put us out of business? One of my favorite questions, and I think every association could do this, and with the 
associations, you define competition in different ways than some other businesses do. But one of my favorite questions is, what would a competitor do that could put me out of business? Okay, I need to figure that out and then I need to do that. If anybody's going to put me out of business, it needs to be me. So it's really an and thing. We're, yeah. we're going to continue to do what we're doing now and making money at, and we are going to create the next normal as opposed to the new normal, but we're going to create the next normal. We're going to have some influence over that. We're going to be part of that conversation, and we're going to either, if not lead the revolution, which I, I think some associations need to be doing, but you're, you're going to be right there along as things are revolutionized. But often the governance structures make associations much slower to respond and speed to market does not necessarily go hand in hand. And I don't know that you always have to be quick, but I know for a fact that you can't be super slow because yeah. by, by the time you get to where you need to be, the market has already surpassed that. You know, the other part is so funny how all of these words and ideas are so intertwined because you were talking, I kept thinking again about relevance. With disruption, one way to approach it is to say, how can I disrupt? How can I move on to the next iteration of what my business should be in the interest of relevance? And I go back to what the guy said about, I, I work 18 months ahead. And so you've got to think, what does relevant mean 18 months out? It's all really exciting. And a lot of it is really hard. I mean, there's stuff that I could do blindfolded with both hands tied behind my back. I was really good at it. And yet, if that's what I had kept doing, I would have been kicked to the side of the road a long time ago. But it's hard to let go of that stuff that we know we're good at, but we have to. I've, I've always said that I think that the best things are equal parts exciting and terrifying. <laughs> And that's how you keep the complacency and comfort at bay. And when things are terrifying, we would prefer comfort. But the only way we grow and the only way we evolve is to be willing to embrace the terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a question that I've been asking a lot this year is what does brave look like? And when I have a choice between brave and comfort, yeah. my theme this year is picking the braver thing but that's not comfortable. So they, they can't always coexist. For What sure. a great theme for this year though. What oh gosh, was that perfectly timed or what? <laughs> You've served as executive in resident at Belmont University Center for Entrepreneurship. Is there anything different about how innovation is happening now as compared to how it happened a decade ago? There really is, Mary, and I, I tell you what I think it is. People, not just young people, in that position that I had, it's a one-year position and they rotate somebody different every year. But I got to work with the students, their majors were entrepreneurship, and these were students that had started, these weren't class projects, they were real companies. A couple of them I invested in and I'm still an investor and they're still rocking and rolling a few years later. Nice. But one thing that today's entrepreneur, and I think just today's business person has learned, and a good way to look at it is, is in the nature of a startup. When you launch a startup, and I always tell entrepreneurs this, what you're doing is you're entering an information gathering process. You take your product or your service and you ship it, you put it out there to the marketplace, 
And then you let the, the marketplace tell you what's wrong with it, what's right with it, if it makes no sense at all. And today, the spirit of innovation is, okay, let's put this out there, maybe in a very limited way, but let's put it out there and start to learn what direction we ultimately need to go. One of my main clients is a bank and the CEO of that bank, who's, I don't know, 60, he was doing an interview. He's the CEO of a bank, let, let that sink in. And the question was, your bank is very innovative. How much of what you try doesn't work? And without hesitation, he said probably 50%. Wow. Now that's a bank wow. saying half of what we try doesn't work. And back in the day, <laughs> no bank had that mindset. No business had that mindset. The thinking was, well, we're going to wait till we're sure it'll work. Then we'll roll it out. And the spirit of innovation today is very different. It's let's roll it out to find out how we change direction from that. Where do we pivot once we roll it out? So it's almost a co-collaboration with customers or members yeah. or clients. It's yeah. we're going to do our part and then we're going to take this to market and we're going to let you tell us what you think. And then we're going to go iterate, innovate, reshape, and then bring it out again and let you tell us again what, what's going to work and what doesn't work. So rather than this idea that we're going to create something and introduce it, we should really be thinking about small pilots, soft launches, with the idea that we're going to take it out, we're going to listen, and we're going to make changes. And then, and it might be that you have to do this a couple of times before it's actually ready for oh, a full absolutely. launch. And, you know, there's a phrase that we use about things that we're trying. I think maybe we ought to use it about everything. We should use it about our core offerings that we know create vain work, we should say it's a work in progress. Uh, it should always be a work in progress. But a work in progress also shouldn't be an excuse for mediocrity, for not giving it your best. No, that, that's the thing. You can't, <laughs> you can't keep trying out stuff that doesn't work without damaging the brand. So obviously you've got to be smart with the way you do this. And again, it's a balance. There's got to be this sense of willing to take a risk and being willing to learn. At the same time, you've always got to do good work. It's, it's a bit of a balancing act. As we wrap up here, and Joe, you know I could talk to you for the rest of the afternoon, but as we wrap up here, what are one or two mantras that you come back to time and time again when it comes to innovation that would be helpful for listeners going forward? One, and it's funny, uh, this one applies to what we were just talking about. I've got a friend, a terrific, brilliant, very successful entrepreneur named Arnie Malham, and I've worked with his company, and I've worked with entrepreneurs organization, EO. And Arnie, uh, one of his favorite sayings, and he actually wrote a book with this as the title, and I wrote the foreword for the book, but I love, love, love this idea. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing wrong. Mm. meaning is what we were just talking about. If you don't do it until you know you're going to get it just right, the chances are you're not going to do it. And if you don't do it, then it's an opportunity lost. And so the idea is do it, do it a little bit wrong, then do it better. But 
again, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with what I was just saying about, we should look at everything as a work in progress. We should never say, I know one time uh, I said, there are some people that they, they get to their, they reach their goal and they say done. And then there are the people or, or businesses or associations that reach their goal and say, next. <laughs> I know? love that. Where do That's, we go from here? Yep, yep. And if I were to have one more mantra, and it's what I told you is on my screensaver every day, which is, how can I be useful today? What can I do that's useful? That really helps keep me on purpose. And it helps keep me intentional with what I'm doing to think it, Am I being useful now or am I just making noise? I appreciate that about you, Joe, so much. I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. I'm Mary Byers. This is Successful Associations Today. 